Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday, our Every Other Week podcast. This is episode number 27 of Every Other Thursday, and it's being published on the week of November 12th, 2020. I'm Dave, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as usual, I'm here with my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kiris. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you guys doing this week? Great. Good. Still dealing with... uh... Uh, trying to get our my head wrapped around the election here, and waiting, yeah. waiting for it all to come to uh, to uh, lockdowns, elections. Nothing right. going on in the, out there in Chicago. <laughs> right, 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 right. Did you have a good celebration when you celebrated uh, our first anniversary? I knew you guys went up both probably. Jay York, they probably gave you the key to the city when we celebrated our first anniversary last year. Yeah, I got a star on a walk, walk of shame in New York. It's great. The walk of shame. There you go. And I like that. That's, you have to show that to me someday when I'm up there. So this is year number two, week one of year number two, though, episode number one. And we've got a great guest today. Have you guys looked him up a little bit? David Kramer, Chef David Kramer? Yeah. He's a big deal. So nice. He's man. a professor of culinary arts, and he's the big El Jefe of, out at the College of DuPage, which is just outside your place there, Chicago, right? Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like him. He's like, to me, those guys who teach the culinary people for, of tomorrow, they're like Johnny Appleseed, just planting seeds everywhere they go, I think. Yep. You got to be a special guy or gal to do that job. Yeah. And I like his approach. And I think that uh, our listeners, when they hear you know this episode, I think they're going to come away thinking the same thing. That'll be great. But first, before we get into the episode, we've got always got to get some general business out of the way. Let's do that real fast so we can get them on in here. This week's episode of Every Other Thursday brought to you, as it always is, by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. And now, with all that general business out of the way, let's get this first episode of year number two started every other Thursday. David Kramer, come on in. And everybody, I want to give a big Every Other Thursday welcome to David Kramer. David, it's great having you join us here on Every Other Thursday. And now as we get started, what we like to do here is we like to give our listeners a quick snapshot uh, of your background and who you are and why you're here and, and really how you ended up in your current gig as chairman and professor of culinary arts at the College of DuPage. Am I saying that right, DuPage? That's correct. Yes. Okay, cool. David, the floor is yours. Great. Thanks a lot for having me, gentlemen. I appreciate the opportunity and excited to uh, spend some time with you today. I was very fortunate. I grew up around food. My grandmother, my mother, my aunts, uh, all great cooks. And my uncle owned a grocery store, so you always kind of hear about that game kids would play in the car. You know, my uncle owns a grocery store. Well, my uncle actually owned a grocery store. Yep. And working there from great. a very young age, probably from 12 on, just being around all that raw food product and saying, you know, what do I do with this stuff? You know, I see my aunts and grandmothers and mothers cooking up all this great food. And I knew a lot about the raw food product, but nothing about how do I cook it? How do I make it taste great? <laughs> that's the that's good part right there, making it taste great. That's the yeah. hard part, but, a good, but also the good part. 
So I had a buddy in high school, and uh, he kind of encouraged me to take some classes with him actually here at the College of DuPage. So I'm actually a graduate of the program here. Wow. Coming back home. Yeah, full circle. So, you know, from there, I was very fortunate to be mentored by a chef who encouraged me to pursue my passion. I spent some time, some formal education. After graduating from here, I went to uh, school out on the East Coast at the Culinary Institute of America. And Small school. And really uh, pursued, you know, my passion there and came back to Chicago. I mean, you know, restaurant scene here in Chicago, you know, even 30 years ago was, I thought, very exciting. Uh, and some of my friends would say, hey, you know, why are you going back to Chicago? I said, because there's a lot going on that I haven't experienced yet. So I just turned to Chicago and had a great opportunity to work some great organizations uh, like Let Us Entertain You, Enterprises, and Marriott. Wow. That's a great background. And I, I think, and, and you've been at uh, College of DuPage for how long now? 17 years. Wow. So you've seen a lot of stuff. And we should mention College of DuPage is in Metro Chicago, one of the collar counties, du- DuPage County, correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that brings up a point, and we want to talk more about the the sort of the makeup and the demographic of your students uh, there. But are your students all from the Chicago area? Just a just a question. Yes, most of them are from Chicago land area. They'd be coming from the immediate county, some of the collar counties. We actually do have some students coming from out of state, and we do have a group of students who do come internationally every year, which is pretty exciting. Really? That's interesting. That is interesting. Where, if you don't mind me asking, internationally, do they come from? Many of them are actually coming from South Africa, Ghana. Wow. I'm sitting in Ghana, and I'm thinking about, I want to learn. I want to learn the culinary uh, world a little bit. And how do I get to the College of DuPage? Yeah, so there's a program set up with the State Department. And Ah. it's funded through them, and they are given assistance with uh, housing, they actually have a pretty rigorous program when they come here. And they're here only for about 10 months. So we have a certificate program, and they oh, do okay. a certificate program in that time. And I will tell you, they are just phenomenal. They will blow you away. Just, you know, leaving home, you know, a new country, you know, a new yeah. environment, and they're energetic, they're passionate. We learn so much from them. It makes us yep. appreciate yep. what we have yep. here in the States. It's going to be a great experience for the, the Chicago area students to to all of a sudden now find themselves alongside of, in these classes, people from all over the world, really. So that's great. Very different background. It's great for the students that are here to yep. see that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the College of DuPage itself and, and what your, you're in charge of the culinary arts program there, but what's, what's that like and how does it fit into the larger scope of, of the overall school? Uh, we are one program in the school, and with most community colleges, there's an array of you know programs that you can imagine anywhere from just general education requirements, you know, accounting and psychology, sociology, English. But we have a phenomenal technical education program here. So automotive, welding, horticulture, all the sciences, computers. So we offer degrees and certificates in culinary arts baking and pastry, culinology, which is food science, hospitality management and tourism. And so our, you know, I say our mission here is we prepare students for entry-level positions into those industries. Probably one thing that makes us unique is that we operate two outlets here. We operate two two restaurants. One is a full-service restaurant, so learning how to take an order from a guest. And then we also have a fast casual concept, kind of like a Panera Bread, where you can pick up and go or have it brought out to your car. So that's 
one very exciting thing that we do do here to create a real world environment for our students. Yeah, that's interesting too, because you mentioned this other school uh, back east that maybe a few of our listeners have heard of, uh, the Connery Institute. And I sometimes, uh, when I'm talking to people, and sometimes graduates are there too, the rub there is sometimes that the Connery Institute of America graduates, while incredibly bright, smart, energetic, all that stuff aren't really ready to do that entry-level job. They're looking to do something a little bit maybe uh, mid-level. And and I think that our business, and, and, and we're going to get into the COVID impact on our industry, but our industry, particularly after in post-COVID, is going to need a lot of those entry-level people. I think the opportunities, and you may disagree and, and, and tell us I'm wrong, but I think that there's going to be lots of opportunity for people to jump into the food service and the hospitality and at that entry-level position. And so there's going to be uh, big demand and probably high reward. Absolutely. No, I I agree. I think that there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand. And I think that we're going to see it just explode. You know, one of the conversations that we had last week, we are required by the Illinois Community College System to retain an advisory board. And we had our meeting last week. And we had people from all different areas. So people in uh, smallwares, people in hotels, people in restaurants, and so on. And the common theme is that the industry is going to come back. Being patient, encouraging students, encouraging you know people's passion to pursue what they want to do. What's the attitude like among the students right now? You know, I will tell you, I am more than impressed with them during this time. We have limited our class size. And we have limited some of the things that we do, not as far as like is learning or teaching and learning. Because of limited class sizes, we can no longer work in teams. So one of the things we really like to talk about is working in teams because in any business, you have to work as a team. But they have been patient. They've been understanding. We are wearing face masks and face shields. We've had no issue with people not wanting to do any of it. They're just as eager, just as passionate, just as excited to be here as they always have been. Yeah, I think that's pretty standard operating now. Uh, I I don't really get the people that just refuse to do the mask thing, but I think that and none of us may like it, but it, it's a fact of life for, for at least for right now. But I think it's interesting to see. That's a great question, Greg, because the attitude of, you know, do people really want to get into food service now and do they want to be in that hospitality business? And, are they optimistic? Yes, they are. I will tell you that, you know, fortunately, many of our students are working just as of late, as I'm sure many of you know, the situation here in Chicago with the closing of the restaurants hasn't necessarily helped. We did have a few students lose their jobs, but many of them have had no issues either gaining employment and or keeping the employment that they have. Maybe it's some reduced hours, but things in Chicago are going quite well prior to that shutdown. Is there no indoor dining or do they just limit it to... 25% 25% or 50% or something like that? They have limited to uh, no indoor dining. None and at all. Those gatherings that are outside in tents, 25 or, or less. But nothing inside? No. I think if I were advising somebody who was thinking about getting into the food service business and attending your culinary arts program there, David, I think that I I would say now is the perfect time to get involved because when when you get out, you do that job, you prove yourself, you're gonna be you're you're gonna be off to the races and there's gonna be so much opportunity, particularly upward mobility, if that's what somebody somebody wants and they've proven themselves. We talk a lot about the supplier side to restaurants and I 
think that they're getting crushed also right now, too. There's no quite. We, everybody's focused on the operators, and they should be, but the suppliers to those operators are getting crushed. But on the supplier side, the runway has been cleared on a career path for them. And I think the same is probably true of the food service professional, the culinary professional on the on the operator side. Whether you're in a uh, canteen situation, business dining, whatever, whether you're in a restaurant, small group, or even an independent restaurant, I think you've got all kinds of opportunity. Hotels are incredible, right? I, they're going to be a great opportunity for growth. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the advantages that anyone has with formal education is there are going to have that upward mobility, you know, for them because they have a foundation. And that's what oh, we yeah. prepare students for here at College of DuPage is we give them the foundation and they can take it whatever direction they want. We don't focus on any one type of cuisine, any certain style of dining. We try to show them as much as we possibly can so they can catapult into whatever direction they want to go because we do have people who do get into the supplier side. Sure. They have great food knowledge and great customer service skills. So we're not parlay that into something, maybe getting into uh, produce distribution or small wares, things like that. That being the case, can you categorize what would be the most popular places these students want to, want to go to? And has that changed any since the whole pandemic thing started? I mean, do they want to go into fine, you know, if given a choice? Would, would the majority want to go into fine dining or catering or, you know, on the supply side? Is there any, do you have any idea? One thing we're not really good at doing is keeping track of where everyone's going. We require them to do an internship. So typically we encourage them to take that internship, which is towards the end of their studies and use it as a catapult into the, you know, the business. So don't go there just for a few months, stay for a couple of years and learn something. And after that, we, we unfortunately kind of lose track of them. You know, what's cool about this, Greg, is that our students are working everywhere. I mean, we have students who have been on the track to be managers at a McDonald's who just love it. They're passionate about it. They have a great program. And then we have students who are working at places like Panera. They love it. And they come back and they tell us. And what they're doing is they're coming back to us looking for employees because they felt they had a good experience, which is, you know, kind of a way to say that we are, you know, doing the best we know how. And then there are some students who are pursuing that finer dining more trendy path. So as opposed to when I went to school, you know, if you didn't go into fine dining, what were you doing there? Mm -hmm. You know, it was, you know, back in the 1990, 1992, that's what, that's what you did. It was a chef factory. You went in there, learned how to be a chef, fine dining, French cuisine, and you moved on, you went into fine dining. So that's, what's so cool, you know, about our industry now, you know, that's become such a small percentage of what students will experience and or see. And it's getting harder to make that connection as to what fine dining is. I remember working at Maggiano's and I would talk to people. And they said, well, well, Maggiano's is fine dining. I said, well, okay. I said, I'm not going to take that away from you because it has a tablecloth. It has china. It has silverware. They have nice wine glasses. It's a great selection of wine here. And that's all I can afford. I, I, I can't afford to go to True at the time. Uh, you know, look at Everest, right? Everest is going to be closing at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always excited to talk about that because it's just great to hear what they're doing and what they're excited about, what they're passionate about. We had a uh, guest several episodes back that was uh, once the head of all fine dining for Marriott. His definition isn't the traditional, what most people would think of as fine dining. He says, any 
cuisine, any type of restaurant can have fine dining. Thank God, recognition for Taco Bell. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I guess you know. I guess that's one of your uh, alumni from CIA, the head of Chipotle, because he he wanted to do fine dining, but he couldn't afford it. Yeah. So, so he did the best burrito stand he could. That's fine dining. Yeah. That's what's awesome about this business. David, I want to ask a question for Jay a little bit because he probably is in his head right now. Do you have a wine education program there? Yes, we do. We have industry professionals who actually come in to teach those classes. So we have a couple of sommeliers who give their time. Of course, compensated, but we have a course in wine that will get you ready for your first level sommelier test. Wow. Do you ever do any work with Madeline Trafon? Have not. Yeah, do you know her? I do not. Yeah, I can give you an introduction. She's a personal friend of mine. That would be great. Yeah, we can exchange some stuff, and then I'll send you her contact information. She's the wine director now over at Plum Markets and handles all the wine tastings and stuff like that and handles the buying of the wines and stuff. But she, to me, would be a perfect one to work well. She's such a great educator because the thing that's great about Madeline is when Dave and I talk about her all the time is she has an innate ability. I mean, some of the master psalms get a little edgy, you know? <laughs> Let me tell you what I know, God darn it. <laughs> but, you know, if you, you ask Madeline the most simple question about wine, she has a great ability to recognize probably where you're coming from because you're asking that. And she'll always answer it so you never feel embarrassed. That's and great. That's not always the case. You know, sometimes you know what I'm talking about if you've been around some of the MS guys. Like, you get mm-hmm. But she's, she's a sweetheart. But to work with students and stuff, that, that I'm sure she'd enjoy it. And she just happened to be one of our guests several episodes back. She's great. I mean, she's just as comfortable talking about wine out of a can uh, (laughs) because because it's an introduction a lot of times to people. How how you get introduced to wine means a lot. And sometimes today you might get introduced with a a flip-top can of wine or some sort of other type of container. She was an operator, too, which is terrific. I mean, she ran that apprentice restaurants up in Detroit when they were in full. Great lady, great lady, and and she knows her stuff forwards and backwards. I've got a question before we take a break. We always talk about customer acquisition here a lot, and I want to talk about how you go about, David, attracting your customers, or really more accurately, your students. You talked about from bringing them in from all over the world and all that, but how do you go about attracting the core student that you get into your program? We have an ongoing relationship with the local high schools and even some outside of our district that we serve. And some of the other community colleges in the area don't offer a culinary arts program. So we go out to those areas who may be interested in it. So that's one of our first touch points. So what we do with them is we invite them to come in for the day. So if they have a what's called a consumer science end of what they do, and some are calling it culinary arts now or food service and we put together a schedule they come in they'll spend the day with us and they see what the environment's like in the kitchen and the bake shops we'll feed them some lunch or maybe they'll even cook their own lunch and they get to work hands-on with the students and what they're doing so instead of just talking about it we actually have them do it for those who can't come to campus then we try to go to their campus. So we'll go to the local high schools, we'll do a, a, some type of demonstration, talking about what we offer, what the, what the industry is about, in addition to what their instructors are talking to them about. So that's our biggest, say, marketing or biggest pool of talent that we tap into. There's also a 
high school program here called the Technology Center in DuPage. And it's almost like a, a mini COD in regards to they have automotive, they have culinary arts, they have cosmetology, and those types of things. So we will get some students who will transition from that program there. But then also, too, it's reaching out and marketing any way we can because we attract so many community members to our program. So you have a, you have a program for civilians, like they can come and take a course on pastry, or is that what you're talking about? Uh, yes, they would have to belong to the program, so meaning that you know, if they register, they have to buy the uniform, they have to buy the knife kit. So it's you known investment. They would have to go through some of the courses. So, for example, in order for students to take the first cooking or baking course, they're required to take the state of Illinois sanitation exam. And that's because we serve food to the public. And that's another you know leg up that a lot of our students have when they go for employment, because now in the state of Illinois, everyone working in an operation must have their ah, certificate okay. or training. Great. So we've relieved some of that pressure from the employers. So yeah, they come in, they want to take that introductory course to baking or cooking, and then take it from there. Absolutely. A friend of ours took a course at CIA, and I forget how it worked, but I don't think it was you had to qualify by doing the, the things that you're doing. They, you know, a civilian could come in, and maybe it was a five five day program on weekend, mm-hmm. and and you, they pay so much. And I, I think that thing got pretty good participation. I don't know whether they still do it. I used to do a lot of work with the CIA. I was there when they were building the Italian Center. Hmm, okay. I worked with Luigi Bormioli at the time, and I tried to get our owner to be one of the big contributors, but Cola Vita beat us out. <laughs> get the owner to pony, pony up what he needs to pony up. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. A couple of questions. Have you gotten more participation or in the last five years really increased participation in the pastry side of it? You know what's interesting? We see ebbs and flows to our baking and pastry as well as our culinary. Yeah. What's interesting is sometimes when there's a dip in the culinary, there's an increase in the baking and pastry, and then it can go vice versa. But I will say, yeah, the baking and pastry has been strong for quite some time now. now is that part of the culinary program, or is it a separate thing completely? As a culinary arts student, you would take everything. You would take culinary arts, you would take baking and pastry, and management courses. Okay. The baking and pastry degree or certificate, you would take baking and pastry in your management courses. Yeah, because I, I never, I never realized it, but I mean, I, I remember listening to someone talk to me about stuff that was going on, maybe ten years ago. All of a sudden, you know, serious pastry chefs, depending at the level they train, making big time money. I mean, yes, big time money. And, well, I think, I think the whole idea of fresh baked goods has really exploded. I mean, uh, on the on the consumer level, I think there's much more higher awareness of it. And, and, you know, and the margins for the operator are there you much go. very attractive. You're going to have your act together to be a good pastry chef because what I'm told it's a lot more scientific and a lot of math involved. And, uh, you know, we, we all can cook a pretty good steak. <laughs> Salt and mushrooms. <laughs> pastry is not, from what I understand. Baking is much more, pre- in, my, in my way of thinking, baking is much more precise. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Kind, of, kind of wing it a little bit. The other thing I, that I think that you're, you're doing, how long have you had the uh, intern program where they got to go out in the field and work? As long as the program has been alive. How long did they have to spend in the field? It's not very long. It's 225 hours. And do you place them or do they go try to place themselves with somebody? They place themselves. So we we can lead them. We can encourage them if they're looking for something specific. The reason I asked that question, what years were you at CIA? I graduated in 1990. Oh, okay. So not so long ago, really. Yeah, I remember, and you probably maybe heard about it, but I remember there was a period of time where they really, really 
got some negative press because you know you got Marriott and everybody, all the big all the big names have got buildings all over the campus, and you know it's, it's great. But I think what was happening is these kids who go to school spending a ton of money and they come out with a degree, and you got Marriott and, and Hilton and all the big guys hiring and wanting to hire them. Well, you take somebody right out of college, from what I understand, and throw them in the Marriott Marquis, and they got to run a banquet department on serve five thousand people, which means you got to order all the food. You got yeah, and they, and they were having a really, really I won't say a failure rate, but a lot of people were getting hired, and they then they would either have to be kind of push back a little bit or in some cases probably let go because they, they just didn't have the on the job training. And I, I to me, I, I always wondered about it because I thought I would think that that would have to be a massive part of a program because unless you get out there and really get into the, you know, start to do the grunt work, you know, you're never going to really learn. Well, if I, if I recall correctly, about five or six years ago, there were big protests among the students because they felt like they weren't getting enough in the field training. Yeah, I'm talking way back. Yeah. So yeah, you're saying in the last five years before electricity. Yeah, I think it was like about five or six years ago. I think there was a student strike. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, do you ever meet any many, many folks in Johnson and Wales? Is that, do you know anybody over there in Providence? Uh, one of my colleagues has a lot of contacts there through our baking program. Oh, okay. Yeah, my childhood best friend was Dr. Schneider, the guy that kind of ran it, and he was he was the the, the fellow that really exploded the culinary program, and he's been retired now for a couple of years. But yeah. I hear they're having some challenges, though. I, I hear yes, they are. Yeah. What do you think is going on there? You know, I think part of it is COVID, like anyone else. One of the challenges is, is not new. It's been an issue for quite some time is the cost. Those costs increase. You know, some of the students there are spending 60 dollars a year. And that's CIA money. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a lot of money. And then they're going to go out and get a job at... $15 an hour, it's hard for them to see that the end of the road. Just like you said, it's hard for them to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go in and I'm just going to, you know, learn as much as I can and not worry so much about pay. I'm here because I'm passionate. And eventually the money will come. You know, the promotions will come just like in, in any organization, you know, that you fit into. Most community colleges, I would say our program here, you could leave with a two-year associate's degree for about $12,000. Wow. Wow. And what's interesting that we have seen is our students are out there working and they've been alongside some of the private schools here in Chicago. And many of them have been told that when you leave here from one of the private schools, you're going to graduate and you're going to be a sous chef. So you're going to be the number two person in charge of the operation. So they've got this in their head that this is what's going to happen. And they're working alongside one of our students, cooking steaks and things like that. And they say, yeah, you know what? I graduate in about six weeks. And when I, in six weeks come, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the sous chef here. So they're just like, okay, they're just kind of listening to it saying, you know, that, that's great. And then it doesn't come to fruition. And then they quit. Not only are you giving them a great foundation in terms of the education and the, and the experience, but it's a great value, too, for your students, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, they're, they're getting the same jobs. It's just, you know, I try to tell them. You know, people want to know if you can do the task they're going to hire you for. You know, if you can't order for the 25,000-person banquet, then, you know, this probably isn't for you right now. Do so you think yeah. Johnson & Wales, was, it was just overcharging for the reality of the situation? or You know, that's hard to tell. You know, it's such high cost that, you know, some of those schools have. Because I can tell you, when I was at CAA, we had everything. It was, you know, well, I thought well-funded at the time. You know, there wasn't a bunch of broken equipment around. I used to love to go there and eat in the restaurants. It was great. Yeah, it was. It was. I you know, it was awesome. 
I can actually remember that far back. <laughs> See, that was that was back before electricity when you were there, Jay. <laughs> All right. Listen, folks, uh, David, this has been great so far. We're going to take a break for a minute. And when we come back, I want to talk a little. We mentioned COVID before, but I want to talk a little pre-COVID, post-COVID uh, and all that. And uh, we'll be right back with more with uh, David Kramer, from uh, who's the chairman of, of the, and professor of culinary arts at the College of DuPage. Right back at you. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to TabletopJournalNewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We're back here today with David Kramer. David is a chairman and professor of culinary arts at the College of DuPage out in Chicagoland. We're talking about the the students at his curriculum and how that college and his program, the, the, not only do they get a great foundational education, but it's a great value education, it really sounds like. I, that number, say that number again. Well, what does somebody have to pay to get through your program, David? About $12,000. With you know, That includes your books and you know, tools. See, that's with, amazing. Yeah. I think my daughter's books alone were $12,000. <laughs> that's what she told you. <laughs> I remember I said I gave her a hundred bucks. I said that should cover your books, right? Laughed. We were talking a little bit, and the and the word COVID came up in the first segment. And I I guess trying to understand the motivation of students who enter the culinary world pre-COVID, because the food service in the culinary world has gone up, up, up for the last four, three, four, five decades. Every year, it just seems to go on, and it gets crazier and crazier. And there's more restaurants and more eating places. So, so I can understand that motivation. It's kind of sexy and everything. Now it's crashed. What's the motivation now? And the student, how do they view it? And how is it changing? How, what's the thought process, David? You know, it's funny, Dave, I asked myself that same question. In fact, I had attended as many webinars as I could, you know, during this time to keep myself informed and keep myself in tune to what operators are looking for. And I would ask that to almost every webinar that I was on, you know, either, you know, during the talk or prior to, and they all had the same message. And that was, if you're passionate about what you do, you'll follow it. Yeah. You know, cause like we said earlier, it's going to come back, you know, sexy, cool, fun, challenging, you know, all those things. But that's the one thing that we try to do is, is stay positive. And that's one thing, the same message all the operators said It's it's staying positive for our employees, staying positive for our customers. And doing the same thing for the students, just stay stay positive. Be a leader, right? I think is probably the one example we try to tell them because, you know, I gave an example today that if, you know, you go into a restaurant and somebody's having a bad day and it's a customer service counter, they got to put a smile on. Yep. So no matter, you know, don't feel so good, that kind of stuff. So be, be true to yourself. Yeah, I think it's always the case. And we talk about the guest experience a lot here on this podcast and, and, when the guest goes anywhere, whether it's pre-COVID, post-COVID, whatever, you go out to to eat and you're looking for a good good food, obviously good beverage, but a great overall experience. And if somebody's having a bad day, a service worker is having a bad day, wait, wait staff, or even back of the house people. Mm-hmm. 
you got to leave it at the door, I, I think. And it is about the whole experience and how you're welcomed into a restaurant. I mean, if you think about restaurants, and and I'm not a great historian in that regard, but restaurants are, are similar to being welcomed into somebody's home. And I think we are, we all have good days and bad days, but that that sort of temperament and, and how uh, that attitude that the food service workers come with. It's the same in the, in the hotels. I mean, you can see when I was traveling, you'd see um, housekeeping people in the hall. So if you're leaving in the morning, whatever, and you see the, the people and you can, you know, some of the best attitudes ever, those people, they're, they're working in those hotels. So that's, that's really important. Stay positive is really, is really an important thing. And, and as, as suppliers, we spend a lot of time on our other podcast, Seat Yourself, talking about positivity and, and keeping a, keeping a smile, even through, even though uh, this is a very, very challenging time in this industry. Dave, speaking about suppliers, I, I get a quick question. I might be uh, going in a different direction here, but David, our uh, our roots here are tabletop, uh, small wares, dinnerware, servingware, textiles. And so I just, out of curiosity, I, and I don't know if I've thought about it before, but in a two-year program, do the students, do they think about tabletop items at all? Absolutely, yeah. In, in, what, in what way and how is it brought up? Well, actually, it's probably our most challenging course outside of the kitchen and the bake shop. It's a course called Purchasing. And we try to show them as much as we can in that 16-week time is everything about how to purchase food, how to purchase tabletop, how to purchase equipment, and what that process looks like. How does it get from the manufacturer to the end user and every step in between? So understanding what a rep is and what they do. So yes, we actually bring in our industry professionals, industry experts from Edward Don, and people like yourself, Jay, who will come into the classroom and say, this is what we do. This is how our product is made. Here's the difference between the various grades of product and why they cost different, why they feel different. So we show them China and glassware. So we show them Villarreal, we show them Hall, and so they can see who might use the hall and who might use the Villarreal Bach. Sure. And then everything in between that we can show them and, you know, in the time that we have them. So they really get a, um, an appreciation for all the other aspects of what is involved in the food service business besides just cooking food. And that's the, the difference. And I think, you know, one thing that I walked out of CIA with was understanding a lot of a little bit. So purchasing and human resource functions, math, you know, Jay, you brought up science. That's one of our biggest challenges um, with students as long as I've been here is math and science has always been the weakest component. So understanding, you know, how do I buy fish? You know, how do I buy produce? You know, if I need, you know, some more China, where do I get it from and how quick can I get it? So, yeah, we, we go into great depths with that. And I just, I just interject for our international listeners, Edward Don is a major U.S. distributor of durable goods. Greg, you sent me, I don't know when, it was just the other day, I think something was a, a flyer in the paper out there and, and expressing really uh, astonishment about all the international foods and, and, and sort of uh, exotic foods that were available just on a consumer level. 
So when you talk about buying foods, David, for uh, restaurants and trying to teach students how to buy just in general, but now they're probably, they have many, many more food types that are available to them from all over the world, literally. And I think it's got to be, that's got to be a challenge right there. Just, just the food buying. Yeah, huge. And one of the challenges that I've learned along the way is that I grew up in a grocery store. <laughs> so I, right, I understand that what what products are, so it's just second nature to me. If you don't go grocery shopping, then you don't understand how what things are. So I've never had an artichoke before. One of the things I try to encourage our students to do is do something you haven't done before. And when I'm talking about with that is we do a, what we call a final exam or a practical exam where they actually have to prepare something uh, for evaluation. And I said, do something to challenge yourself. Do something to grow. Do something to learn something new. So if they've never seen an artichoke or tasted an artichoke, that can be challenging because, right, for a lot of us, we've eaten a lot of artichokes. We've seen a lot of artichokes. So that can be a little daunting on their end to walk into the storeroom and walk into the walk-in cooler and see all this stuff and saying, what is all of this and what do I do with it? You got to go really and know how to make a great BLT. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said for that, though, because when I see these restaurants that do a grilled cheese, and you go like, really? I mean, who doesn't love a great grilled cheese? Yeah. Put tomato in it, but get real creative. <laughs> yeah. But, but think about what you just said, a, a great BLT, a great grilled cheese. It doesn't have to be you know, green cheese from the moon that you're working with. Well, it, I don't know if I give David my recipe while we're on here so he can pass it on to his students. We had, David, we had, Zine, I'm going to screw the name up, Greg, Reiner Zingrava on here from Marriott. He's the guy that, that uh, Greg was uh, talking about. And when he talked about fine dining, he talked about quality ingredients prepared well. And when you take a BLT, just some killer bread, some f just fabulous lettuce, some bacon, and it doesn't have to be bacon from some special, you know, you know whatever. But I, I think there's, I think sometimes we all look past those kinds of great comfort foods. And, uh, and now in a time when the world has been turned upside down, not to mention an election or two going on around us, <laughs> I think that comfort food is more in demand than ever. Yeah. You know? Great sandwich and a, a great glass of wine, boom. But there's always something more to learn and a new, a new way to do it. In fact, about grilled cheese, the person that I am, I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday on Food 52, which I, I, uh, I like a lot, and they focused a lot on different chefs, how they're trying to improve the grill, grilled cheese sandwiches. You know, like Gabriella... You know, Hamilton, she puts mayonnaise on the outside, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I guess there's many ways to take it. I guess that, you know, like, uh, what we're saying, what we're talking about here is that these students need to be able to explore all these different. So David, I'll give you, I'm going to give you the recipe or I'll come out to the school and do a demonstration for the kids. You're the best, on. Best BLT in the world. Get the good old Canadian bacon, some sourdough bread great tomatoes and lettuce, and the key to it is putting Skippy peanut butter on one half and a little bit of mayo on the other. If you love salty <laughs> everybody, everybody that I've given that recipe, I'll ask them, do you like salt? Yep. You like bacon? Yeah. You like BLTs? Oh, yeah. Try this. And the first first expression is like, really? And the <laughs> I was out in California years and years ago, and it was, a, it was like a Denny's, but I forget the name, the name of the chain, but 
there was a little more upscale. So I'm, I was at a show in, in Fashion Island on Newport Beach, and I go to this place, and I see this sign, you know, the ultimate BLT. I'm like, oh, hold on here, Jack. That's like when Dave and I go into a bar, and a guy says, we make the ultimate martini. I'm like, stop the music, dude. I'll be <laughs> So this place had this sign, right? And the, the only thing that they did differently was that they put avocado on it. So, but boy, I'll tell you what, it was awesome. And, and, I, and I've been making them for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was California, so this, by law, they had to put the avocado on it. There's an avocado police come get you. But, you know, you talk about these kinds of things, these, these basic foods, but but it all does start, David, doesn't it, with uh, great ingredients, mm-hmm. high-quality ingredients? Yeah, a- absolutely. That's one of the things that we focus on. First, you know, like Greg said, we focus on the foundation. Yeah. So if you got to understand the basics. For example, one of the things our students have to do in one of our courses is make whipped potatoes, oh, just wow. simple whipped potatoes. And, you know, no truffle oil, no sour cream, no cheese. Just you understand the basic cookery of how to make whipped potatoes. But then understanding that I can't make great whipped potatoes if I don't have a good potato. So if they're old, you know, if they're uh, been in the refrigerator, sitting out too long, uh, whatever it is. So one of the things that we're very fortunate of here is we have the ability to show them different levels of product. So in our introductory courses, when they're just learning how to cut a chicken, uh, we're not buying the you know the fifteen dollar chicken. We're buying the less expensive basic chicken for them to fabricate. And then as they work their way up and get more confident with their skills, we introduce higher quality ingredients. So when they get to that final capstone course, you know we're using really high quality duck, you know a better quality chicken. We're also too showing them different cuts of beef. Uh, using prime and how to handle it. So, yeah, we're showing them those different levels of product. That's great because they, then they finally have an appreciation. They've come through all the different levels, and they and they really do appreciate and understand the significance of the, the high-quality product. So, David, you know, so you're at this uh, program here in the Chicago area. How much, if any, communication do you have, like, with your counterpart at other culinary schools around the country? I mean, so I mean, can we extrapolate these kind of things to these other to these other schools? Or are you unique? Where, where's this Where's this all going on a national scale? Well, it's interesting. We when we were, go, were able to go to seminars around the country, everyone's for the most part saying the same thing as far as what your challenges are, what your experiences are, um, just you know, different part of the country. We have very close relationship with our colleagues at Joliet Junior College. They have an excellent program there. They just built a phenomenal um, brand new facility in their downtown area. We also have a close relationship with Elgin Community College. Those were probably the three that have the most comparable programs in the Chicagoland area as far as community colleges go. So yeah, when we are with them or talking with them, we do have some instructors who teach part-time here and they'll teach part-time at one of those other institutions. And so we you know, share ideas Sometimes we share instructors because <laughs> someone's short-handed. But yeah, we end up usually talking the same language, you know, same challenges, same issues, same opportunities. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that. If that that issue of differentiation, and there's some similarities, I'm sure, in the programs. But if I'm a if I'm a student and I and I come to your program and I graduate, how am I going to be different than every other person up and down the street there working? How am I better? And certainly, that hands-on experience, that high-value education that I've received, that's great. But but then I've got to go out and differentiate myself against all the other people so I can get that job. How do I do that, David? You know, and that's probably one thing that we've been you know, really, say, proud of doing is that when our students do enter the field, that they're well prepared. And we get that information directly from the employers when they're doing that internship or that externship we were talking about. There's an evaluation that they have to go through. And we talk with that employer to see how they're doing because it gives us feedback as to what we could do to improve. So having that relationship with the industry. We're very close to it. Uh, we bring those professionals here at the same time to work with our students. And some of our classes, for example, international cuisine, if we have someone who's an expert in, let's say, Asian cuisine, and we can find someone in, in the area to come in, they'll come in and work with their students. And then they, they can also see what they're excelling at, but then what they might need to work on. But I think that one of the biggest differences that we're very fortunate of here is we have the two restaurants that we operate, and they operate just like any other restaurant. The full-service restaurant is you know, reservations through open table. Guests come in, and they have a certain expectation, which is great. You know, The guests come in, they have a high expectation level, and they'll give us a review on open table of how things went. We share those reviews with the students to say, here's, oh, wow. That's here's great. what we need to improve on. So here's real life. Here's, here's yep. actually what's happening to you right now. Where is the restaurant located? Is it in it's uh, right in our building. We have a building dedicated to our program. Oh, terrific. Um, so, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest differences that really prepares students because what it does is when they're working in the restaurant and they're cooking there, a restaurant, we open 1115, you got to be ready. Soup's got to be ready. You know, the sauce needs to be ready. The steaks need to be ready. And because customers are coming in, what you're ready or not, we had to figure out as a team you know, how to yeah. make this happen. So they feel that pressure, right? Just like any business, if you don't want that pressure, if you're not driven by that, you know, you're probably not going to be successful. So that's that's the one thing is we say, okay, you know, we, we motivate them. You know, we were all probably motivated a little bit differently, as you know, many years ago by some of our mentors. So we just have to find that way to motivate them, to encourage them to continue to pursue that passion like we talked about. Yeah, I wouldn't want to have people go, be able to have the ability to go onto a website and write a review of me and how I do my job every day. And so I can wake up the next morning and read some uh, BS about I treated somebody badly. I get a lot of those bad reviews. So, open table. David, you talk to employers or potential employers all the time. Is there much of a hierarchy? I know there used to be looking for CIA or Johnson & Wales grads versus community college grads. Where are things netting out there uh, you know, regarding training, and what is there a bias among employers? You know, I think there used to be a much bigger bias. I know that when I graduated from the CIA, you know, people were clamoring to hire me as a sous chef. And it's like, but wait a minute, I, I just graduated culinary school. I don't know what it need. I know what sous chef is, but I don't know what the job entails. I've never done it. I want to work my way up to it. But I think that what I have seen probably in the past 10 years, there's not as much of that that I have seen. It doesn't mean that you know it's not going on in other areas. But I think that by talking to the employers is really 
helped us because we have that connection with them because we're willing to say, what do we need to improve on? You know, instead of saying, well, we, you know, we know all and whatever we train them to do, you should be able to help them with in their job. Um, so I think it really just depends on, you know, that person who's doing the hiring and what they're looking for. That's incredible. David, I've got a question for you, and, and I'm going to circle back around a little bit to the beginning, but we've never met until this podcast, but throughout the, I don't know, 45 or minutes or so, 50 minutes we've been talking, I get a lot of passion out of you, uh, and I hear it in your voice, and my sense is from listening to your answers to some of these questions and how you explained the value and how passionate you are about it, this is quite a bit of a different take than the earlier part of your career where you were maybe just more concerned about just getting the job done and getting through the day. Yes. Being a, a caring person to your colleagues and maybe to the people that reported to you. But I sense that there's a little bit more here, a little bit more coming back to you as a person rather than just, this is, a, this is not a, just another job for you. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I try to instill in my students is that, you know, for all the automation that they talk about, you know, coming to our business, I think there is a place for it. It's still a people business. You know, over time, we have seen that maybe in the past and even some of the kitchens that I've seen, people weren't treated very well. And, you know, I understood it to be when I was being, say, somewhat berated by, you know, a chef. It wasn't me. I didn't take it personally. I took it, it was at the task at hand. That is very hard for people to understand in today's day and age. So you have to approach things very differently. I think also, too, having children makes you look at things differently. Sure. You know, I know that changed for me once I uh, had our daughter. Patience, patience, patience. I was running around here like a chicken with my head cut off this morning. I had an instructor call in sick at the last minute, and I had to be in two other places. I had to jump in and teach her class. And so in my mind, I was freaking out because <laughs> I had to shift gears and figure out where she was. But I try not to let that show to the students. I just let them know everything's going to be okay. We're going to figure this out today. And we'll work on this together to get through the day. So teamwork has always been important to me. You can't do it alone. You know, I always tell students that, you know, you may see someone's name in lights. Their name is on the restaurant, but it's not just them doing everything. It's, it's the team of people that are with them. Uh, I don't consider them behind me. They are with me. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it, you know, bring the passion up in I will tell you, I think that Let Us Entertain You was probably one of those organizations that really kind of molded me. They helped me to mature, uh, not mm -hmm. only as a cook or a chef or a manager, but as a person. As a, that, that was huge to me. So I'm still very passionate about what, what they do. It was probably the, the team of people I stay in the most contact with. I think we just have that innate want to stay connected. Yeah, I think if I was in your part of the world and I was um, I had a son or a daughter and was looking to get into the restaurant business food service business I think I'd want them to come and sit in your and, and, and explore your program and maybe hear listen to you talk about the program itself because I feel great as a parent sending my uh, kids to somebody who cared about the the people sitting in those chairs as much as the curriculums and all that stuff so I, I, I applaud you for that and I think when you do that, when you when you train them right from the start to care about others and to and to care about the the people around them, I, I think that pays off in space because you you just 
your plant seeds and they, they go out with it, take the, a, a slice of the culture of your curriculum at College of DuPage out in wherever they may go, because they're not always going to be an entry level person in a, in a restaurant or a food service operation. They're going to eventually be a leader and have other people that they're responsible for. And hopefully they transfer a little bit of that caring culture that you've expressed here today in, into their programs as well. Yeah. And that's one thing I talk a lot about is that I look at you as the next leaders. It may not be tomorrow, not the next day, but you are, you're going to be the next leader. So how do you talk to people? How do you treat people? And also to a supplier. You know, one, one thing I've learned a lot from is from our suppliers I've dealt with over the past 30 years, just so much, not, not just about product, but hearing about what other operations are doing well. Well, you've been in the business for a, while, a long time, and you've taught for at the school for 17 years. We hear a lot about the millennial attitude, and you know, and you know, different generations. Have you found students to be cut from the same cloth, or are they changing, or changing for the better, or changing for the worse? Oh, they definitely have changed over time. That's for sure. You know, we've had to, to adapt and change your teaching style a little bit. You know, one of the challenging parts is understanding, you know, how many ounces are in a court. You know, I was asking the class today, you know, how many ounces are in a court? And most of them know it. And some are just like looking, you know, you can see they have no clue. And it, <laughs> and, that, and that's okay if, if they don't know, you know, it, then they know it's something they need to work on. But the challenging end of that is I don't really need to retain it because a lot of people, I can just talk into my watch to my phone and say, Siri, how many ounces in the court? And I used to struggle with that. I used to just say, you know, you can't do that. You have to know how much is in the court. It's like, but you know what? That's the reality. If that's how they're going to find out and still perform well and make a great product, you know, as you go through life, you have to choose your battles and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe they got something there. (laughs) Well, this has been great. You guys have any other questions for David Kramer here today? Well, we've been really lucky to steal an hour of his time. I didn't, he's, he's subbing for people at his place. He's running the whole show, the whole shebang out there. Any other questions for David today? David, I'll reach out to you by email and give you my information. and We can chat about some class for your family. Great. Please do so, Jay. I'd appreciate it. Anything that you see, any specific cuisine or, you know, and it's hard to say, you know, now in COVID, but anything that you see, you know, from the culinary perspective that you see on the horizon is going to pop? Anything comes to come to mind? You know what? I think that as of now, it's really interesting. I don't know. I don't know which direction our industry is going to take. The whole ghost kitchen concept has been really interesting to me. I've seen a lot of that popping up in the past, you know, several months, which I'm sure you have as well. That was very, very new. We had that conversation. Yeah, that seems to be going well for a lot of operators, and I wish them the best with that. I hope that that works well. It seems to be, especially for uh, Brinker with the Maggianos and Chili's concept doing the yep, uh, that's, just that's wings. That's really great, man. And I like that re- very creative. I think that's probably one of the coolest things when I share that kind of stuff with our students is, you know, this is a business. It's sexy, it's cool, it's fun, but at the end of the day, it's it's about money. It's it's a business. So, how do I pay the rent? How do I you know pay the um, workman's comp insurance and all those things? I have to pay all that overhead that they're not quite understanding yet. It kind of clicks with them a little bit once you explain that to them. 
Well, this has been great, David. We, uh, we're running out of time with you today. We said we'd get you out of here on a hard stop, and uh, we'd love to have you come back and talk some more because I, I think there's some things like purchasing and, and, and some of those uh, sidebar conversations I think would be really interesting for our listeners to hear. So great. thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Nice to meet you. you David well. Kramer, everybody, Chairman and Professor of Culinary Arts at College of DuPage. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.